This is one of my Caged In Conversations, and this week I will be joined by James Dormer. James Dormer is a writer for TV and film, and the way I came about James to interview him for this podcast was, like many of my guests on this podcast, I just sometimes type into Twitter, um, Nick Cage. And I see what comes up, see if he's been mentioned in people's bios, see if he's been mentioned in people's tweets. I just find it a fun way to engage with people and you never know what people got in their bios, especially. And James is a prime example of that because James's bio said, I possibly have written the worst Nicolas Cage film ever. So in my mind, I just thought that is somebody... I 100% need to be speaking to because if you think that and you wrote the bloody thing what's the film going to be like and if you've listened to the today's episode or yeah the episode that came out with this the actual outcast episode you will know that it's up there as being possibly one of the worst Nicolas Cage films but James was an absolute star and sat down and had a chat with me for about 25 minutes. Uh, we could have gone on much longer. Um, I just thought I'd like not to waste James's time. Just just kind of like find out how this came about, how he managed to write the worst Nicolas Cage film of all time. In his words, not mine. I feel like there are others that are far worse. I feel like Rage may be worse. I feel like um, Bangkok Dangerous may be worse. So, James, if you're listening, don't worry. You're not as bad as those two. <laughs> Perfect. So, enjoy this episode and, yeah, catch in with me at the end where I'll be talking about the ongoing competition we've got going on over here at Cajun. I say we. I mean me, because it's all me, Petros Patsilis. <laughs> Enjoy this chat with James Dormer. There was a technical issue with this one. Uh, for some reason, Zoom didn't pick up some of the audio but it's addressed in the episode and you will yeah yeah you'll 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 understand when it gets to it don't worry it doesn't it doesn't detract from the main episode itself it should be fine uh you put up with a lot a lot a lot worse from a lot bigger podcasts so come on cut me some slack if 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 that deters you then unsubscribe <laughs> In my ever-increasing quest to get as many people who have somehow been linked to Nicolas Cage in some weird and wonderful way, I find myself here today with a man who cites himself as being a writer for TV and possibly the worst Nick Cage movie. Uh, that is James Dormer. How are you today, James? I'm very good. Thank you for having me on. <laughs> no worries. Um, before we get into, obviously, Outcast. Um, just want to kind of ask you about how you got into writing in the first place like as was it as a as a child did you did you did you yeah. read a lot did you kind of like yeah, I read loads and uh i think when i was probably about you know i started writing my first great unfinished novel when i was probably about 11 um 
and it remains unfinished. <laughs> um, and then I, I kept on trying to write prose. And then when I was about 25, I was doing a temping job and I went on a course uh, run by some guy who had uh, written an episode of Doctor Who once that was never made, but in which K9 was killed off. Wow. And on the back of this, he was teaching everybody how to write scripts. Uh, he was very good, actually. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I kind of realised you wrote a lot less and got paid more. Uh, so I kind of switched <laughs> to screenwriting, only to not make any money for, for years. Uh, I worked as a civil servant. Uh, finally, I did make a little bit of money working in film. And then I, I quit my job and then I didn't earn any more money for, for more years <laughs> and it was yeah it was a big struggle it wasn't until I was about I think I switched to TV uh, when I was about 40 and then I started to get to get kind of regular work well yeah it's, it's, it's interesting you mentioned uh, the Doctor Who script that never got made by this writer because from the writers I spoke to it seems to be the kind of interesting ideas and I, I imagine you know from from writing a lot a lot of the kind of ideas you have and the most interesting stuff that tends to be the stuff that falls by the wayside a lot of the time we're in scripts uh uh yeah like uh it's the stuff i think is the most interesting <laughs> <laughs> obviously everybody else thinks not so <laughs> maybe it's a good thing yeah, well, from speaking to, yeah, I spoke to the uh, writer-director, Brian Taylor, and he, he said, like, there's projects he's walked away from in regards to, like, the script changes, and he was like, this isn't, this, this like, what we wrote was the best the best thing ever, and whether it's studios or, I, I, I don't know who to point the finger at in those cases, but it tends to be, do you know I mean, egos come into play and then stuff gets watered down, so for people like that, it's... it's yeah, I think the whole difficult. process is always about compromise, because you're mm -hmm. working with a lot of different people, you know, 200 people on a movie or something. Um and, and it's all about compromise, but it's knowing which compromises to make and, and which not to make. Um, <laughs> quite often, um, you know, you end up with a, a, a snowball effect of bad choices <laughs> and then it's, um, it's outcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, like from looking at your career in writing, especially the TV work you've done um, on a few projects, Strike Back and Beowulf, You've been the lead writer. What does that What does that tend to entail as opposed to work you've done where it's like Wallander or Spooks or Musketeers, where it's like just the occasional episode here and there? I think it, it depends a bit mm -hmm. from, from yeah. show to show. It's different in the UK than it is to the States. Uh, like a showrunner in the States is a producer, is over the budget, is over everything. That happens sometimes in the UK, but more, more usually it's... Um, you're just the, the main authorial voice uh, and you probably, you know, you will probably overwrite most of the scripts to a degree, uh, hopefully less rather than more. But again, it depends on, on kind of like the schedule and, and stuff. Um, but yeah, and, and run a room, uh, like on Medici, we had a, a writer's room. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. It, it depends, but but it basically just means that as far as the writing is concerned, ultimately people will go to you for the answers. So, with, like a lot of people say, obviously with the kind of rejuvenation of just kind of scripted television, um, 
it's the writer is kind of king in that domain. Is, is that something you've experienced from doing it, or as opposed to <laughs> usually, usually, yeah, I think I am, and then I'm told I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's very true that in unless you're very lucky working in film, um, it, it's much more the director's yes. domain. If you if you find the right director to work with. Uh, then, uh, and I worked with one on a, it was a pretty awful script I did, but she was very uh, good at kind of bringing me in and allowing me to <laughs> screw it up more. Um, but so, yeah, it, it, it kind of, in TV, the writer, particularly a lead writer, is across the whole show. Yes. Whereas directors are brought in to direct like a block of two episodes or something like that. So they don't have the advantage of kind of seeing the whole picture. Um, so yeah, it's, you 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 definitely got more power as a writer in TV. Um, so, how like what was your first write like writing job as 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 a, as a jobbing as a jobbing writer like uh, for for t- was it TV first and then? Well, no, I kind of I worked in um, film for a bit. Um, tried to work in film for a bit. There, there was I worked my first proper job, I suppose proper in inverted commas with <laughs> working on a, a, a film that's credited i think as on imdb as uh, lena bride of ice <laughs> uh, essentially it was a tax dodge uh, by some german producer and they okay. just needed to make a film to get this money that they were trying to um oh god i probably shouldn't <laughs> <laughs> well, that's my understanding of it i'm sure that there's that they have their own opinion of blah 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 <laughs> but anyway, um, I wrote a script in, I was working as a civil servant, wrote it in a couple of weeks, uh, then they filmed it. Um, and and I, I think I got paid like two grand or something. Wow. Um, which at the time was, was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so that was, um, it's not something I'm particularly proud of. Um, and then my first, but my first job in TV, when I switched to TV was... Um, was working on The Fixer, which was a show by Ben Richards that mm-hmm. I loved the first season of. Um, and so I was just incredibly lucky to get a job on that. And actually, this is the only time this ever happened to me. I, I wrote a draft and then apart from kind of tweaking it for production issues and stuff, it pretty much got filmed as it was. So I thought that's amazing. That's like, you know, um, that's how it always must work. <laughs> <laughs> and it's never happened since. I guess I guess it's kind of given you, yeah. That that is that is sometimes the the I don't know the folly of enthusiasm and stuff like that. And when you get the the first, whether it be musicians with that first album, you kind of you get that hit, and then it's like <laughs> that, it, that endorphin rush of like, oh, great, this writing luck's gonna be all all, all 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 roses. And then you find out from then on, it's just dealing with the fawns of the industry. Um, so how did the yeah how did outcast come about were you were you were you brought on to that was it a script you had kicking around or no it was a script that i wrote 13 years before it was produced wow uh it was set in northumberland in 999 ad Uh, and and was basically um a, a kind of action love story revenge love story um and then for various reasons, it ended up set, you know, a few hundred years later in China um, as a kind of buddy movie. It's kind of weird. 
Well, the, the, yeah, this is a very weird like period for for Nicolas Cage's career because the only other kind of film he's done in this like time period is Season of the Witch, which is another kind of set in that era, but doesn't seem to know what kind of film it it wants to be. It's him and Ron Perlman, essentially, uh, the dynamic of Riggs and Myrtle from Lethal Weapon, but as two crusaders. And this, we see Nicolas Cage kind of channeling Lo Pan from Big trouble in little china was that something that was was in the script was that was i i, I guess obviously well, being set in northumberland it wasn't <laughs> no it wasn't at all um what happened was they decided because they were trying to access chinese money i think yes. uh, they asked me to rewrite it set in china uh which i having no kind of integrity at all i said okay um so it was set to and moved to china um, and then they wanted to attract um, a cast that would bring in money. Uh, they got the guy, I uh, can't remember his name, um, from the kind of second run of Star Wars films. Hayden Christensen, yes. His, yeah. um, his only kind of dalliance in cinema since then, apart from the film Jumper, I think. I don't, don't want to... Uh, that, that, that's, <laughs> that's the impact as a fan. I, I, I will say the liable stuff that... I haven't really seen much of Hayden Christensen since then. <laughs> no, he did. Well, he was um, he was brought on, but apparently he wasn't enough money. So then they tried. They said, "We'll try and get Nicolas Cage." And this was around the time I think where he was like kind of being chased down by his video store for for owing money for not paying for the rentals and he was selling everything off. <laughs> um, so they obviously thought he would be vulnerable. <laughs> um, and they asked me to uh, rewrite. There was uh, there was a character in it that was actually like a a Chinese Buddhist monk who really only came into the story at the end. Um, who's like an old uh, monk? And um, they said, "Could I rewrite that that character for Nicolas Cage?" So I did. And they asked me specifically to write it in the Nicolas Cage style, kind of uh, quite heightened. Um, and so I did. And they said, don't worry, if we get him, then we can pull the dialogue back and, and make it more fit in the rest of it. <laughs> um, and so off it went to Nicolas Cage and then to my horror and delight, because I was a huge Nicolas Cage fan going back to Birdie yeah. and you know, beyond. Um, he said yes, um, but he demanded that they didn't touch the dialogue because he thought it was working for him. Um, so we got stuck with this. I mean, apart from all the other problems with the story, we got stuck with this um, this kind of very uh, heightened character. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. From from yeah from speaking to other writers who have worked with him, um, he kind of does cut like professional as he is he kind of comes in he'll know the script like the back of his hand but he will he will be there for changes on the day and kind of ask directors i want one take for me please and then like that tends to be the one they run with or because it's the one like you're saying like he was drawn to this heightened script as opposed to a more naturalistic kind of tone that the rest of the film takes it's uh <laughs> It was also like, because he had that, he had like a scar across one eye. Yes. So it looked like he was permanently winking at you. Yes. Um, 
which kind of haunted me forever. <laughs> it was like a big joke at my expense. Um, and then um, there was also one take. I don't know if it made it into the movie in the end, but he just kind of, it, it, and I only ever saw the rushes because I wasn't there. Um, but he came in with like a rubber snake wrapped around his wrist. No, that's in that's in the film. Yes, that is in the, that is in the film. It is a it, it is a fantastic quirk that he he has. This is he is very much like the the cat amongst the pigeons in this film. In that he is kind of he is from another. He, yeah, he's from another film entirely. I, I do believe though, if we'd have lifted up the rest of the movie to match him, we would have made a better movie. Oh yeah, like the. I I I I love this kind of like this genre. I, I guess the kind of period set, like a lot of a lot, of, yeah, a lot of sword play and stuff like that. And yeah, if it, if it had been brought up to almost, I don't know, yeah, Nicolas Cage's level, it would have it would have kind of fringed on those like it would have been on the edge of being a cult film rather than just a bad <laughs> mediocre film. <laughs> So obviously you you've stated that this is possibly the worst Nicolas Cage movie. Is that something that you stand by? <laughs> <laughs> I have I have to be honest in that I haven't watched a lot recently. There's a lot to get through. <laughs> when I say recently I mean over probably the last 20 years. Um I was a huge fan like I said uh, when I was young. Um and still he can bring it. Oh um, yes. And I do like a heightened performance, but but sometimes he goes a bit too high for me. Um, you know, I mean, I'm a fan of Gary Oldman and, and yes. stuff. He again does that kind of heightened thing, um, but 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 not quite as high. <laughs> um, so I would, I, in that it's not, in that it's kind of mediocre bad, I would say yeah, it probably is the worst that I've seen. Well, that that's the thing for me. Some like especially I'm I'm going through watching every single Nicolas Cage movie because I something must be kind of I don't know gone up there. But um, it tends to be the films that like if he's if it's bad bad it's good if that makes sense because yeah, he exactly. he normally is the saving grace and is kind of left to his own devices. Um, and it's the it's the middling, it's the kind of vanilla films where yeah, it's like, like <laughs> it's when he's asked to kind of like it's tend to be when he's kind of oh can you kind of, can you do like a Richard Gere performance a lot of the time a lot of those movies in my personal opinion are the ones that kind of fall flat but it must have been obviously you saying being a fan of his early work and that what was the kind of feelings you had when it's like oh right I've now got to write this script for Nicolas Cage was it kind of well by that stage it uh, it had already you know it had moved so far from from what it was initially yeah but, uh, honestly I was pretty much just hanging on hoping to get a paycheck at the end <laughs> of it, uh, and prepared to do everything I mean there was uh, there was a stage where the director basically did a did a couple of drafts of the script uh so it was out of my hands and then it came back to me i did another draft i think then finally the director is, had someone else another writer on set who was a friend of his who also did some changes uh so yeah it's it's, it's kind of neither fish nor fowl i think it's a very like interesting thing that kind of like a lot of the time 
it will be this like I yeah I I I thought I talked about Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, which is a film that has a writing credit by David S. Goya, and like so I thought, wow, wow, fantastic. And then speaking to the director of that, it turns out that David S. Goya wrote a script for it. <laughs> But then it got changed somewhere down the line, and because of his initial script, he had to get story by. So, kind yeah. of for me, lulled me in with this false, false sense of security that, oh, great, we're getting like a a David S. Goya film, and then told, yeah, by the director, his movie was great. <laughs> this movie not so great. I think the thing is, you have to to get a credit on a film you have to rewrite at least 50% of it or something like that. Oh, wow. So, which encourages some writers to, to basically just set out to rewrite it anyway. <laughs> There's all sorts of tricks, like they'll change names and characters and stuff to make it feel like if it goes to arbitration that they've changed what may have. Um, but yet, funnily enough, the director of Outcast um, somehow got hold of a, a, a version of the original script after they'd done the shooting and stuff. Um, and he, he phoned me up and he was like, why didn't we film this? Uh, this is so much better. <laughs> um, but yeah, so 13 years and, and a lot of compromise and, and that's what happened. That, as I, as I said before, that, that tends to be like, the more I speak to people that, that tends to be the case. And I, I it it it, it, it 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 saddens me like a great deal to kind of know that there's all these great stories out there told in a, a diluted fashion in whatever but, way but it I may be. It, it does work both ways. Yes, um, yes, of course, of course. Know, I love Gladiator, and I read uh, a draft, one of the original drafts of that by David Franzoni, which to me was a very different and not at all in the same league kind of as the movie that came out, which was kind of made up on the hoof with various writers as yes. they went along, as I understand it. Um, you know, and that worked out fine. It just didn't work out. <laughs> sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Um, as somebody who works in TV, I feel like it's uh, it, it'd be stupid of me not to ask this as there's news just announced this week that Nicolas Cage is actually going to be moving into television <laughs> in a scripted uh, telling of the Joe Exotic story. Like, okay. what? What did you have any opinions on that? If you or is this? Uh, I didn't know that. I would say that he's perfectly cast. <laughs> I suspect he might want to play one of the animals as well. But you know, as mentioned in the intro, this is where the technical glitch happened. And I had a witty remark to James's answer to the question and asked him what he had coming up in the future. Sky Italia show called Devils um, that I'm helping uh, write some of. Um, and uh, Medici, um, yes. season three, which has just come out on Netflix. Yes. I think when your podcast comes <laughs> out, but it'll still be there. Yeah, 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 no worries. And hopefully we will be out in the world, but you can still go home and watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah um fantastic james it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you and uh there we have it guys i'm sure you all agree with me that james was a fantastic guest and it's so good to hear about that kind of like 
how people came up in the creative arts, whether that is writing, acting, directing. And James is no exception to that. It's, um, I always find it fascinating, especially like just kind of, and those differences between writing scripts for film and television, something that James has uh, knowledge of both. And uh, yeah, this, this, I, I, I just thrive to have these conversations with people. And I'm, I'm always so dumbfounded and absolutely amazed that people are willing to have these conversations with me. Um, and yeah, this is probably this, this is a call if you're listening and you know somebody that I probably should be talking to. If you by chance know somebody in the industry who has worked on a Nick Cage film, please get in touch. And uh, you can get in touch about anything regarding this podcast, uh, guest ideas, who you would like to hear from on all social medias at Caged in Pod. Or if you really want to tell me what you think of the podcast or anything further, you want to go, you want to go a bit more long form with it, just send me an email, which is cagedinpod at gmail.com. So as I said in the intro, there's a little, little competition that needs to be addressed. So the competition, and it will be running until the 31st of August, is to just um, send me a DM on any of those social medias as I've uh, aforementioned or uh, go over to Apple Podcasts, leave a rate and review and just tell me what is your favourite Nicolas Cage film and why. And I will pick either my favourite or at random. I'm not, I haven't quite figured out which one I'm going to go with if there is one that really blows my socks off and I'm like, you know what? I've got to give it to that person. Uh, they will be receiving a one of a hundred uh, caged in and Tim Hornsby art prints that are hand numbered and like have a unique Nicholas Cage quote written on the back of them by me. And uh, yeah, the artwork is a fantastic mock-up of a DC Comics Superman caged in comic uh, with Nicolas Cage as Superman, obviously because of the um, ill-fated Tim Burton adaptation of Superman, Superman Lives. Uh, yeah, Tim Hornsby has done this amazing, amazing comic book cover and you can buy those as well, which is uh, cagedinpodcast.limitedrun.com if you, if you want to buy one, but yeah, you have a perfect chance to win one of those, as well as me reading out a section of the Declaration of Independence personally for you. It will be it will like you can you can let me know once you've won how long you want that to be. If you want me to read the whole bloody thing, we'll have to talk about it. Or if you just want an excerpt, that will be great. So, as always, I've been Petrofat Silvis, I've been caged in, you've been amazing. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next week. Bye! This podcast is presented by the Breadcrumbs Collective, home of the Pod Charles Cinecast, Caged In Coppola Connections, A Drooptown Limery, Maine, Franchised, and many more to come. 
Our shows are all presented ad-free and made possible by listeners like you. Please support our shows by subscribing, leaving ratings and reviews, and becoming patrons at patreon.com. If you'd like to learn more about Breadcrumbs, head over to breadcrumbscollective.com. Breadcrumbs. It's more than a podcast network. It's family.